Welcome to Lead Gen Nation with your hosts, Sean McCormick and Ryan Drummond. We're going to get started here in a minute, but Ryan, I wanted to just give you a quick background on Akil. Akil, I'll give you a quick background on Ryan, and we'll see where uh, the podcast takes us. How's that sound? Yeah, sounds good. Cool. So I've known Akil for probably 10 plus years, uh, all through online lead generation. Uh, Akil is probably one of the, the, the thought leaders in our space when it comes to digital media, different traffic strategies. But he also goes a little bit deeper into the psychology of people as well. And he's done a lot of research on gamification and whatnot. Uh, also, Akil has done a lot of different things in digital media, which is very interesting. Uh, he's, he, I think he got to start in ringtones, but I'll let him get into that later. Uh, and then he got into uh, education and then home services and then back into education. And it'll be interesting to, to hear more about what he's up to now. But also, one thing I love talking to Akil about is tactics and strategies that he's trying to generate leads and how he's implying, uh, applying some of the things that he's learned over the years, whether it be gamification or whether it be, uh, you know, the simple things in, in changing the, the color of a, a, a banner ad or, or copy or, or, or creative. So that's Akil in a in nutshell. You'll get to, you know, learn more about him as, as you guys talk on the podcast. Uh, Akil, I've known Ryan since high school. We played uh, high school lacrosse together. Uh, we've played many sports together. He's a good friend of mine. Ryan is, has the, he's an entrepreneur just like you, Akil. Uh, he likes trying new things and new products and technologies. And he's gone deep into, into chatbots and uh, automation, uh, APIs, yada, yada, yada. Uh, Ryan is also a, um, the founder of The Athlete Book, where he connects college athletes to online hiring events via virtual career fairs. Um, so that's also very interesting as well. But what we're trying to achieve here today is we want to create a podcast for the lead generation community, for those that have been in it for a while, to continually educate them. But also, and more importantly, we want to educate those that are new to lead gen uh, and don't have a strong grasp on what it is, how it works, or tactics that they can try. So with that said, Ryan, meet Akil. Akil, meet Ryan. And I'll be here to, to help and, and plug the gaps. <laughs> Thanks, Sean. Thanks, Sean. That was great. Yeah. So, Akil, uh, thanks for coming on. I, I don't know if you know this, but you are our very first guest. As you could probably tell oh, wow. from the, from the uh, let's try Skype. No, we're going to do Anchor. <laughs> uh, but uh, Sounds good. I have, I have both. I have Skype in front of me, you know, so uh, this works better. I love Anchor, by the way. It's funny you are starting on Anchor. It's one of the things I meant to mention actually today on the podcast as the an app that uh is innovative because you can record once and distribute to all the channels so um you know good choice <laughs> yeah it's like the uh kayak for when you're looking for a flight and uh, aggregating out to everything else it's i you know we were playing around with it last week and I, I was like sean look look at all the different podcast platforms this thing has pushed us out to so it's very cool yeah i'm seeing uh more and more entrepreneurs using anchor just to uh push, uh, you know, one time record and then push to all the different platforms because they've already integrated and done the hard work. So I, I, I love that. Yeah. So real quick. So 
and, and I want to kind of get the arc of how you started your career off and, and everything else. But before we do that, what tell us a little bit about what you are doing right now, what your role is in the company, a little bit about the company and, you know, what your specialty is. Yeah, sure. I, I think that's actually a great place to start. Um, and then we'll, you know, we'll dive into various places. So first of all, Digital Media Solutions Group, um, it's a... Um, Fortune 5,000 fastest growing company right now in the United States. We're uh, in the top 200. Um, in terms of what it does, it's it's uh, really everything is centered around strategies and execution um, in terms of performance marketing, specifically for customer acquisition and retention. Uh, so you have under that philosophy a lot of different entities in the within that company. And one of the uh, divisions or platforms that the company owns is uh, Sparkroom um, SaaS, or basically Sparkroom Technology, uh, which is really a lead management software uh, that enables uh, enterprise-level um, clients to that that, ha- that that buy leads and data at scale uh, to be able to do multiple things with that traffic. Um, Basically, you know, think of it as a centralized place for all your inquiry data where you can um, uh, process and do custom logic and uh, uh, integrate into various CRMs. And basically, it's the conduit for all, all uh, to streamline uh, all the leads that are coming in uh, from those different um, media channels that you have uh, and then be able to offer analytics on top. But in any case, that division specifically, that's um, today, that's... That's what I am responsible for in terms of the evolution, um, staying relevant in the marketplace, being able to uh, stay ahead of the curve, uh, introducing new features and uh, new uh, uh, product sets that enables our our clients um, to use the software more, but also for the software to stay valuable for them. Uh, So there's a lot of fun in there in terms of innovation, all of that. So uh, think of DMS as a... Uh, top-tier lead generation um, digital marketing uh, company, both doing dig- have a digital agency uh, and produce their own leads from their own properties um, through various channels. Uh, and Sparkroom being the proprietary software that enables uh, agency clients to, to, uh, to streamline and centralize the data for inquiries uh, at scale. So, and so Sparkroom mainly used, you said, by enterprise clients? Yeah, no, it's a very good point. So, so, so historically, the system was built for um, mortgage and for specifically those buyers that uh, buy on a paper lead or CPL uh, business model, um, um, you know, large amount of inquiries, and then they want to be able to understand performance of those different channels, be able to route and um, do some data hygiene on it, and been able to understand the full funnel uh, metrics and KPIs, uh, but. Um, Shortly after it was, and that was about ten years ago. Shortly after it was, uh, and you know, the, the software uh, was released, uh, it became very evident that one marketplace that is um, um, sort of there's a need for uh, for such a software is is higher education, uh, specifically those that uh, trying to. Uh, uh, recruit students um, specifically on a you know on a per inquiry basis, uh, utilizing those media channels as well internal as well as third party, uh, and so that became the uh, somehow the software found itself into um, 
some of those top uh, schools. And so the niche, um, um, the, the, the software evolved to really become sort of the industry standard, first class leading lead management software and attribution software uh, for those clients that are, you know, they, they are enterprise level. When I mention their names, you'll, you'll, you'll probably know um, that those are national clients but or national brands. Uh, but recently, we've been adding a lot of features to it. So what, what we've done is really we're taking that uh, enterprise level uh, cloud-based um, uh, software to, to make it more accessible um, to uh, medium and small-sized businesses. Uh, you know, like I said, it was the, the, the software evolved really for education specifically, but we've done a lot of... Um, uh, a lot of uh, additions and upgrades, um, I would say, you know, very, um, uh, very important um, um, sort of um, tools that enable all type of marketers to use it in different verticals. And so that's where we are today. It's really, uh, I think we're going to announce soon, and it's fine on this podcast as well, that it will, uh, it will be able to service, um, all, you know, different types of, of clients as well. Oh, sorry. Interesting. So when you, I, I think Sean had mentioned before in the past that um, when you guys, you guys had worked with each other at iFish and, and that was, you were focusing on higher ed at that point. Is that, is that true? I mean, were you doing that over at iFish is that, did you kind of bring that vertical uh, to Spark Room? Uh, yeah. So at iFish um I was the chief mobile officer, so my my job and my focus uh, was really more on uh, mobile media campaigns to connect uh, consumers directly to brands uh, through um, through mobile you know campaigns and devices and channels. Uh, so I was really specifically focused on that, specifically uh, performance based, right? Whether it's internal or our own media that we run, or whether through uh, through partners. Uh, the difference between that and um, we have not, we didn't use Sparkroom at the time, but. Um, Right now, we're in position. You can call me kind of the product guy, really, at the company who's responsible for the evolution of, of the Sparkle software. Uh, does does that answer the question, or maybe yeah, you no, meant something? I think on? it does. Okay. And John, I don't know if you have any other questions on top of that uh, with that topic. No, I don't. But you know, one thing that always my ears go up a little bit is when people mention uh, data analytics and and how they might help individuals generate leads or how. How does Sparkroom today, Akil, help if I'm buying leads and, and I put them through the, I use Sparkroom as my, my lead aggregation platform, uh, what sort of data analytics would we be able to see and how would that help me as a marketer grow my campaigns and my business? Yeah, thank you, Sean. Actually, it's a, it's a very important question because we spend the last three to four years uh, just on the analytics stack and suite within the software uh, to go really deep. Um, you know, when I talk about the software, I said there are three things that we do um, or three pillars. There is integration, um, automation and analytics. Uh, integration is we stitch data from different systems. So this becomes a centralized place. And automation is being able to really automate all your uh, processes, whether it's reporting or, you know, or routing, um, etc. Uh, but then the analytics is really what brings everything together. So where does it help? It's, it's, it's a question that really spans and forks into different areas. Um, you know, I'm not going to talk specifically about the software. Uh, maybe I'll dive that in, in that into a little bit. Uh, but how does it help for you? Let me start here by saying, if you don't understand how your 
data, especially if you're in performance marketing, direct response, advertising, etc. If you don't understand how your channels and providers and campaigns are performing, right, um, then you really can't optimize, right? So measure, measurement is really important. Um, what Sparkroom does, it, it enables full funnel analytics. The difference between us and, say, other lead management platforms out there is that we don't just capture and forward um, or, you know, we really um, integrate all the data from the CRMs, uh, what we call the conversion data and milestone data back into the system from the different client CRMs. And so what you'll have is a full funnel view of that lead that comes in from the channel. Everything from, um, if you've done the full integration into the system, uh, you'll see everything all the way from impression down to to the bottom of the funnel conversion for on a lead level uh, meaning, you know, which campaign it came from, which keyword, uh, you know, how many impressions, uh, the how many clicks and click-throughs for that same lead. And, and so you, you get all that, that information with with that specific um, uh, inquiry. And then um, you'll start seeing the progression of that in the funnel for the client. Uh, so you can, by connecting all the systems together, you'll start seeing that full funnel, right? So it's highly important to understand the top level KPIs that, that are most important to you, how something is converting you know, uh, from a specific channel. But then it gets really more interesting, right? Because um, I, I'd say a lot of, um, you know, um, uh, clients or tech or lead providers today, specifically we're, we're talking about, about lead generation, generation uh, you know, the, uh, the optimization stops at, the, at, the, at that point when the, uh, you know, when, when the lead has been either sent to the client or, 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 or deems as accept, acceptable or billable, when in reality is really you want to understand what was the um, uh, conversion rate to the final point and frankly, right. ultimately the lifetime value of that, right? So then you can go back and understand really your sources. So that's one area. Uh, the other area that I think is extremely important is when you're doing these type of campaigns, um, lead generation and, and, and performance-based um, you know, performance advertising, uh, what you're doing is really you're creating a halo effect, right? That's when we get into um, cross-channel multi-touch attribution. So, um, you know, it's the client brand itself has a presence and in influencing people at the top stages of the funnel, right? Um, they are doing uh, all sorts of different campaigns. Let's say uh, they're doing some awareness campaigns, right? And you come in and you're doing your uh, the second stage of the funnel, your your desire, intent, and and uh, sort of action, right? And you're capturing, uh, you're creating, you're moving that person from the awareness. To, to that to that next stage in the funnel, while you're doing that and they're doing that, every campaign you're launching, you're actually lifting the rest of the um, of the marketing efforts. Um, just to give you an example today, um, when um, when we do a lead nurturing campaign via email or SMS, or um, uh, or even when we're doing social campaigns, right, so social media campaigns. Um, you're influencing that we're able to track the multi-touch journey. And so what you're seeing is that a person who, um, who saw an ad two weeks ago uh, from our campaign or the client campaign is coming back to the website and they're still making up their mind. It's, it's a user journey, right? And that's why clients need to really um, 
design all their marketing campaigns around the user journey. And so what we're seeing is that your lead generation campaigns are probably having a good impact and a lift to the client website, to the client other marketing efforts, and vice versa. And so Sparkroom also, part of the features that we've released um, a year or two ago, um, also enables you to understand a little bit more about that uh, lift and, 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 and assist uh, through an assist analysis and understand the full path inclusive of, of the multi-touch journey. Okay, well, there, that's a lot there, <laughs> Ryan. Um, Ryan, do you want to ask some follow-up questions to di dissect well, that, or do you want me to... Uh, you know, I, I want to, I, one thing, and then Sean, you could come jump back into it, but for someone listening now that, that you know, you have now intrigued their interest, um, can you talk to us a little bit about what a new client onboarding process would be for some of the typical CRMs that, that, that you, you know, like some of the big ones, I guess... Uh, how, what is the runtime on being fully up and running and, and what are some of the questions the, uh, the client should be asking themselves before, you know, jumping on board? Yeah, no, thank you. Great question as well. Um, so it really depends on the, on the complexity of the setup of the client. There's no, no, no one client that is in this business that have the same needs as somebody else. Right. The reason for that is really uh, dependent on the current system they're using, the current integrations they have from a technical standpoint. But from a marketing standpoint, they might be running just one channel or two, um, you know, or they might be running a multitude, right? Um, so for us, the way we look at it is... First, um, we have a discovery process that we go through, right? So um, your requirement gathering, right? And we try to understand, okay, what is the, the client really trying to solve? And does the software meet those needs? That's, that's the first thing. But once we have established that actually Sparkroom can add uh, efficiency uh, and, and value, right? The, the onboarding process just becomes a lot of um, um, data mapping, integration, uh, among the systems. So for example, we integrate with Facebook lead ads, we integrate with Google Analytics, we integrate with um, uh, Google AdWords to be able to, to, to bring that data back into the system. And on the back end, we integrate, say you have a Salesforce or a Zoho, et cetera, and you want to bring that conversion data back into the centralized system. So um, you know, a typical setup would be would be a client that's that's buying inquiries at scale uh, that really wants to understand performance, things like KPIs, like pacing uh, for a specific period of time. Uh, that that a client that has multiple either locations, programs, products, etc., and they're trying to slice and dice that data in every way possible, specifically for daily for their daily oper marketing operations. Right. Um, so with that, um, the you know it can go. Uh, it can go anywhere between a few weeks to, to you know, to uh, maybe a couple of months. It depends really uh, on how complex and how many integration points. Regardless of that, the reason for, for that long period of time is it goes through that entire process of gathering the requirements, understanding how we're going to connect the data so you can see the full funnel among the different systems and so on. The good part about that uh, is that we have an entire engineer, uh, engineering department and support department uh, that um, that is part of that onboarding. So we do a lift of uh, we do a lot of the um, heavy lifting on behalf of clients. Okay. Yeah. And then do, do they work with an account manager throughout their time as if as they add new channels or make adjustments to their channels? Uh, correct. So 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 you know again we identify the pain points where they're trying to solve. So for example, for some clients would be um, you know automating a lot of their reporting, uh, understanding. Um, 
and tracking conversions, um, you know. And so they will have an account manager assigned all the way from the beginning uh, through, through, throughout their lifetime, right? Um, and uh, beyond that, uh, that is a client success manager whose, whose job is to connect all the different resources that we have uh, to the client. Akil, back in uh, 2006, when you graduated with your master's degree from George Mason, was uh, this the career path you were going into, or would you be surprised if, uh, you know, if future you went back to you at that point and told you where you were going to be today? Oh, man, it's, it's a long story. I know one of the questions you guys want, we, we talked about at the beginning, is like, how did you get in the industry? Yeah. What got yeah, you here, please right? Please indulge us. And, uh, <laughs> and uh I can think of multiple points where I thought that that was actually the entry point. But then, um, as more as I started thinking about it, uh, you know, it's, it really goes way back. So just to give you an idea, um, why do I have a master's degree in information system? You'll be probably more surprised to know that my undergrad is in chemical engineering, which, oh, wow. which, which is very different. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I'll tell you kind of how it all came together. Um, okay. And... Um, you know, the, the more I think about it, the, the, the first is about the first job that I had. Um, I uh, started, I, you know, if I really want to go back, I would say I started in the business because uh, at age 14 or 15, um, you know, during summertime, um, you know, being being a student and trying to find sort of summertime jobs, uh, I was I was really into as a hobby. I was really into uh, animation, motion graphics, and graphic design. And so I was doing a lot of that as a hobby. And a local photographer uh, was, you know, um, was just starting to do direct response um, TV uh, ads uh, for some of his clients. So this is a wedding photographer who, was do, who, who basically needed subtitles for his uh, videos. And here's a sort of a, a kid, right, a local kid who was able to help him with that. And that somehow evolved into, um, you know, me doing motion graphics for those direct response. And so I think of that as my entry point. I'd never thought about it at the time more than a, just a summer job and hobby that I was doing, uh, creating, uh, you know, if, if you look at those direct response TV um, commercials, you know, there, there's the prize that comes in. There's a lot of effects that come in to help you kind of, uh, you know, respond to that ad. So I was doing the, the graphics and the motion graphics for that, and he was able to overlay it uh, through the systems that he have, non-linear non, non video editing systems. And um, maybe that was it. And and but but really, where you know, for me, it was nothing more than a hobby. But then I really wanted to be a sp aer aer aerospace engineer. And uh, from there, I never thought of this as a as a career path. Um, and so I really started to go into engineering school. Um, but then when I when I really visited the engineering school um, at the time, one of the departments they have is chemical engineering. And I get so intrigued by all, by all the um, sort of uh, the labs that they had and what they were able to do from designing, uh, you know, things like water desalination plants to uh, to the centrifuges they have. And, and so anyway, I was very intrigued. I switched. I switched. And I said, OK, that's that I'm really interested in that. Um, because that was a path to get into nuclear physics, which I really liked. Anyway, bottom line is, uh, what happened is um, I, you know, I, I graduated, uh, and then I said, okay, a, a, a very good thing to go from there is to get a graduate degree in either computer science or information systems, because that would be, uh, for me, it will enable me to do uh, either machine learning or, or um, you know, a deep uh, dive into utilizing uh, coding and programming for chemical engineering. Mind you, while I was doing that, I've always 
because of that hobby and, and, and path that I took, I found myself about 15 years later from that first uh, time that we talked about in New York City doing freelance for the, for the big agencies in Madison Avenue. Uh, doing, doing direct response? Doing, doing pretty much interactive marketing using Flash and, and, and Lingo from Micromedia, which became Adobe, which Adobe bought at some point later. And so, so this, this was, while you were doing this, this was like paying the bills while you were going to school. Exactly, exactly. That's exactly what it was. That's exactly what it was. I love those projects. And when I graduated um, uh, from, <laughs> uh, when I got my, um, but while I was at graduate school, uh, a friend of Friend of a friend came from Greece and started this mobile startup here, which got funded by Draper Atlantic or DFJ, uh, and they got Series A funding, and they wanted to start it to start a um, an SMS gateway slash um, uh, slash web uh, SMS platform to. Uh, to sell um, mobile media, anything from uh, video and uh, um, you know and, and images and, and say basically any any media that you can exchange and sort of through 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 uh, through mobile. And at the time, there, there was no uh, the iPhone wasn't there yet, right? We're talking about two thousand and two, uh, two thousand and three. So uh, so with that, he was like, "Oh wow, you do direct response. I'd really love you to help me." Um, uh, you know, uh, get on TV and here are my ideas. And by the way, I have a license from, uh, I have content that I've licensed from Disney, Universal, etc. cetera. Oh, so wow. you have really great content to work with. Would you be interested? I'm like, of course. And little did I know that that got me into mobile marketing and specifically uh, then applying all the, you know, the math and analytical uh, background that I had from engineering and computer science into, you know, into really starting running their marketing department uh, in terms of the national nationwide uh, campaigns and so on. And the, the exciting part about that, it was, I mean, that was just like the birth of that market. I mean, it was so early on for, for mobile marketing. Absolutely. We were the first um, company to go to T-Mobile at the time and talk to them about opening their SMS gateway. And they said, what, what are you talking about? And we said, you know, in Europe, you can bill, um, you can you can enable people to download mobile content and you can bill for that, for that through the through SMS and said we were just working on that and we you know we were looking for partners really great timing so so we were one of the first to be on the on, on that and uh, you know it's it's fun I'll tell you I'll tell you a little you know I know I'm going way back but it's really no go go back <laughs> to tell you about the psychology of behavior and uh, and sort of um, uh, you know, and, and how to influence uh, consumers and, uh, you know, have but at the same time provide value for them, right? Um, because it's an exchange at the end of the day. It's a value exchange, uh, even if it's transactional, right? Uh, and so um, we had uh, content for um, for specific um, um, uh, movies and, and, uh, and, and, and music uh, from Universal. Uh, one of them was... Um, uh, was the movie Scarface that was just remastered to be released again and whatnot. In any case, what it is is we wanted to to launch that and say, hey, direct to consumer, which at the time they never thought that there's a market for you know downloading content on an SMS basis. Um, and so we did that. We launched the first campaign and um, you know uh, we launched it on multiple uh, 
TV channels, including, uh, you know, uh, BET, for example. Uh, and, and, and we got very little response. So we were really confused because, hey, this is free content that we're trying to give at, at first. To say, right. if, download that. And then if you're interested, you can subscribe to our services later. We were just trying to test the market. All right. And we didn't get response. We're saying, what's wrong with that? This is really, we've studied the, the marketplace. We studied the audience. We think we've done a lot of jo- a good job at, at, at targeting the right channels, the right programs, the right time. So what's happening? And our co-founder is a person who did that already in Greece. So um, he came up with, uh, he said, you know what? Maybe the issue is that um, is not the direct response and how you design the ad. Maybe the issue is that people don't know how to text a short code. Why don't you just do the animation of how to text to a short code uh-huh. into the ad itself. And so we added that. And uh, my friend, that night when we launched, uh, we had about 100,000 downloads. Oh, uh, God. And uh, yeah. And so it was an eye opening, like, oh, people just don't know how to text to a short code yet. So let's teach them on <laughs> yeah. the way. Yeah. So anyway, f- fun, uh, you know, uh, fun. For, fun for those that did, it was the first time they've ever done it, I'm sure. Yes, yes. We literally, I literally had to take a video of myself and a couple of people of colleagues uh, texting using their, um, I forgot what phone it was. It was like a flip phone of some sort. And, 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 and then take that and try to recreate it via motion graphics and show them there's a progress bar, but and you have to wait because when you send it to the short code, there's like two sec- a few seconds before you receive the message back. And when you receive it, you receive a link to download. And we showed them the whole process and that worked, which was... <laughs> Yeah, it was interesting. <laughs> right. You got to hold their hands sometimes. Yeah. Um, so when you said, I, I didn't realize until uh, I expanded on your LinkedIn profile and, and while you were talking about your, your technical background um, in 2009, that looks like when Spark Room started, be, started to, or it was its birth right now. How, how uh, deep did you get, you know, at, at the code level of the, the software? Yeah, so I really didn't get into uh, deep into the code level of the software until recent, about two, two years, two and a half years ago, uh, when Digital Media Solutions acquired Sparkroom um, uh, from a company, from our parent company, which was Nelnet at the time. And um, the reason for that is I was brought in because of that uh, background in mobile that I just described, which basically evolved into when the iPhone came in, everything evolved into, uh, you know, mobile web and, and sort of direct response on, on at that point you start doing, you start, you know, um, doing a lot of, of, of online campaigns, everything from, uh, you know, uh, Google and, and so on to, to, to display and so on. Anyway. Uh, so because of that background in mobile, about five years doing that, um, the Sparkroom was looking for someone to come in and start their uh, mobile media department um, uh, to, as clients have started asking, well, you know, um, we, the mobile at the time wasn't, didn't, you know, everybody knew that it was going to converge, right? Now there's, there's no mobile. Everything is mobile, right? But at the time, um, you could actually bid on keywords uh, on, uh, on Google, uh, you know, that, uh, or AdWords that are specifically mobile indexed, right? And you get lower, uh, uh, lower cost per click at the time. And so, you know, clients were starting to ask, well, how can we utilize the mobile channel? Really, a lot of our media is not optimized for mobile, and so uh, Sparkroom at the time was looking for someone to, um, the, so I should take a step back and say that um, Sparkroom and CUNet, College and University Network, uh, which is CUNet, uh, is a, um, 
or was um, a digital marketing agency for higher education. And Sparkroom was the technology that powered it. Uh, okay. So I was hired by the agency side to run the mobile department. And um, that's how I got introduced to Sparkroom. I wasn't really on the product side. But what happened is, as I started developing my mobile campaigns, we, in- we, we immediately realized that we really need to understand uh, how we can evolve the software to meet the needs of those mobile channels, right? Um, and um, that's, that's how I got involved into, into lead generation uh, and specifically the technical part of it, uh, I, I should say. So, you know, what's interesting, I, I, I was looking forward to asking you this question, um, especially since you've, you've seen the arc of these technologies uh, come and go. Um, right now, I mean, what lead channels are you excited about that haven't, maybe, maybe are not yet effective, but you see might open up in the next five years or three years? Yeah, it's a good question. So, um, specifically for, for lead generation, I think everything is going towards, um, artificial intelligence and automation. Um, you know, artificial intelligence is a, is a loaded word, right, or, or term. Uh, there's so much that falls under there. Um, but specifically, the utilization of uh, deep learning um, as, as sort of a, you know, a, a part of machine learning into lead generation, trying to automate a lot of the parts of the uh, funnel and, and sort of user experience. Um, and there's already attempts at that. I think this is where it's going, right? And and you can see what Google is doing with Duplex and, uh, um, you know, and, and, and other probably analytic software as well in the space that are trying to, to, to utilize specifically um, that, um, you know, machine learning technique to, to be able to get to a point where they're providing better value at lower cost. So I think that's where it's going. But what I'm excited today about is really, um, like I said, it's it's really hard to uh, to come and say, hey, this is the channel that you should use for lead generation today. Because in reality, is if you want to have a real effect, you should be able to control more than one channel and capitalize on the halo effect we talked about from different channels in front of the brand and so on. But that's why I like social media specifically. I like it because of the native ads, right? So the ability for you not to have disruptive marketing, but more, uh, you know, uh, more really targeted, granularly targeted, um, and and be able to uh, make it make the interaction uh, smooth and acceptable to the user experience, which I, which I really like. Uh, that's one area. Uh, one one channel that I think the investment there specifically from the big brands, ha- we haven't seen that yet. We as entrepreneurs and sort of people in lead generation, we understand the value of it. But reality is you touch every point of the funnel there for the consumer funnel, right? So you are creating influence. You are creating awareness. You are capturing the, the that uh, that intent and awareness as well. And you are able to nurture that lead as well back into the same channels um, and potentially reactivate that audience. Uh, when you so, so the reason I'm excited about it is when you think, and I'm talking specifically about here, uh, you know, Facebook, Instagram, maybe Snapchat a little bit, but uh, specifically Facebook and Instagram, um, the ability, the way I think about it is there are three pillars there. You have the audience targeting, uh, which is which can be incredibly incredibly valuable, uh, and I'll talk a little bit more about that because I think it's important for your audience. Um, and then um, you have the 
uh, placement, right? So how can you reach them on the on, on different um, types of ads and and the ad format itself? So you've got you've got the, the 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 audience understanding the algorithm for the scoring model and so on, and then uh, the ad format. And so if you look today at, at Facebook, you'll understand that the ad formats that are working are really the ones that have video, that are more interactive, that that provide immediate value. But you go uh, back once and you'll understand that. It, what's wonderful about it is not only you can create lookalike audiences from um, from seed files or from basically um, being able to utilize the audience you already have to to understand how you can target more like them, right? Mm. Uh, but the fact that, for example, the fact that you can run a video and create a lookalike audience or I'm sorry, a custom audience from that video. That then that that for people who have finished watching the video because now you've established that they're interested in the brand to be able to retarget them uh, is incredibly valuable, right? Uh, I was always wondering, though, yeah. does it, do they count that person if, it, if the video just plays while the screen scrolls and they, they pause or if they actually click on the video? So there's different metrics in there. And the one we track is really uh, fully finishing the video, meaning watching it, not scrolling, like really uh-huh. being engaged with it. Uh, now, it's... It's questionable. You're going by by what the what the you know what the specific metric or KPIs provided by um, Facebook. by Facebook, right? Um, and so, in in it's working for us. So we're thinking that that's actually correct, right? Um, people are finishing the video, and and the engagement is based on that. And if they do watch that 15 second or 10 second video fully, now you've established that. Now, one other pro tip, if I may. To the audience as well. If you're already running search campaigns or intent type campaigns, right? You already have a um, website that you have visitors for uh, f- for that specific um, vertical. Uh, you know that that you're trying to um, engage the audience with. You already have an audience, right? So the the, the nice thing about Facebook is it allows you to build an engine, and that engine gets refined over time because you are really refining that 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 AI algorithm over time by having Facebook understand who the audience is on the website, you can create, um, you know, um, you can expand that audience and amplify it based on the visits you have. But also, you know, let's say you're generating a lot of intent from your search campaign, but why not utilize those that even if they don't convert on your landing pages, just that visit itself is valuable. Uh, And you can uh, create Again, a lookalike from that, right? And and start expanding your audience and and so on. So I find today, I find that's one lead channel that is has so much promise and it's it's somewhat underutilized. Although, just like Google, right? This is uh, it's it's um, uh, I would say it, the, the the real estate have have limits, right? So the the, the, the really the, the bids and the and the cost per uh, or CPMs will will keep going up there uh, as more people find how how they can utilize it more. What would you say to the small business owner that is starting to see success on Facebook? Um, they are their their uh, audience and their lookalike audience is is growing and growing, and they're thinking about dipping their toe in the water to try Instagram. Uh, what words of advice or uh, you know thoughts you might give to that person? Sure. So uh, let's see. So uh, you know. I, I think you probably, in, in my view, you, it, it's all about the audience, right? So is, is Instagram audience tend to be tend to skew a little younger. Uh, so what's nice is that 
Facebook, when you're creating your, um, your audience and your ads, will let you know what is your reach, right? So if your reach on, on that channel is higher uh, or a considerable, like it's, it's, you know, it's 50% of all your audience, then it's a no-brainer to have your campaign start um, immediately on, on Instagram. So it's not a question whether you should start or not. It's just like, is your audience there? And, and you know, are you, uh, it does, is that going to expand um, the, the campaign to reach that audience on there? Um, and so my, my only, uh, and, I, and, I, and I see the ads being, uh, being placed, right, like, you know, on, on, on those channels, specifically Instagram, um, they're becoming more sophisticated, right? And, and more, more uh, they're adapting and, and into that format as well. So, um, so my, my, my suggestion to any small business owners is that um, this is one area that if you're not using today, you should. Uh, and, and, and there's nothing to, it's free. You can go and find out if your audience is there already. Right. Yeah, I'm selfishly thinking about my other business, The Athlete Book, where we are uh, providing a, a, a career tool for, at the campus level. So, uh, I mean, if you think about it, the, the, the bids and the costs and, and the CPM cost and the cost per clicks on Instagram is actually um, slightly cheaper than Facebook. So might actually be a good, uh, good place to start. Right. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, that's that's what I think. I have a. Uh, a, a I forgot you were there. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey guys, <laughs> Sean here. <laughs> hey Akil, you know you've done a lot of research and and reading about gamification. Oh, yeah. uh, do you do you see any way to um, bring gamification and lead generation together, um, or or ways that we can incorporate tactics and strategies and, and gamification? to generating leads you know what are your what are your thoughts on on creating something someone wants to do something in the gamification world but also legion yeah meaning bringing it into the legion world the game dynamics yeah you yeah, got yeah. it and maybe you can just talk a little bit what game dynamics means to you and, and then how you would incorporate sure absolutely so. I'm, I'm actually want to take a, a little bit even of a, a step back further and say uh, you know, from from my perspective, you know what I've learned from that response, and I'm, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I really dove into uh, uh, what I was interested in understanding why people react a certain way, right? And for you to like, there, there is there, there is a lot, or there are many um, books and and research being done just around that, specifically for marketing and advertising. And uh, my, uh, my suggestion would, the first thing to do is to uh, read a few books just around that area before even getting into game dynamics and how implemented. So for example, there's a, a book, uh, Influence the Psychology, uh, or um, I think it's called Influence the Psychology of Persuasion by uh, Robert Caldini. And uh, that tells you just from research that he's done through 10, 20 years, uh, what are the main factors that influence people uh, to react to your ad or your marketing strategy, right, from a, um, from a direct response standpoint? So things like authority and, um, you know, credibility, um, um, social proof and liking, right? Do this people, does this ad talk to me? Do they look, do the people in the ad look like me? Uh, does it look like a credible source, right? So there's, there's like six factors in there that he goes really into detail. Um, another one is the, um, I call it the habit loop, but really is the power of habit, the, the book. And it talks about how advertising itself is scientific and how it was able to utilize 
the power of habit and how our brain works to actually establish the habit, right? And uh, if you take that, for example, and, and the reason I'm talking about that because that gets us into game, game dynamics. So, for example, you go back, um, you know, uh, back in the what, 30s or 40s uh, in this country and you realize that, you know, people were not brushing their teeth every day. But thanks to an advertising campaign uh, that was done um, and the fact that that specific product had a um, some of those game dynamics of some of that that. Um, the, the basically the, the mint in the toothpaste leaves that specific uh, taste in your mouth of, of freshness and cleanness. And he was able to change behavior in the United States and in the world, right, uh, to, 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 to use daily. And so the idea here is how can you also, uh, you know, and, and also what, what uh, you know, how to stop a, a habit, right? So it really goes into the science of, of establishing habits and stopping habits and so on. So, so that's important. Anyway, m many books like that. Well, my point is that all leads you into game dynamics. And there's the, the you know, there are, there, there's um, this research that has been done there and the companies that are utilizing that um, uh, is, is, uh, is very fascinating because if you think about it, there is, Anything between seven and um, I would say maybe 25 different game dynamics, if you utilize all of them, um, you can make anyone do anything. It's, it's, it's powerful enough. And you know, the biggest example that I can bring is, is really the algorithm on Facebook and how it gets very addictive, right? Uh, that's based on some game. Anyway, so back to your point, Sean. Sorry to take long on that. But back to your point in terms of what game dynamic is, um, you know, if, the way I think about it is that um, there are different aspects of it. The, the one framework that I like uh, is um, I'm trying to bring it up so I don't is it, miss is it about octal it. Octalysis? The octalysis, exactly. Thank you. The yeah, one framework I, that I like is the octalysis framework, right? Because that way you can really be balanced in your approach of game dynamics to create habits, right? Going back to the habits, to create habits that are non-destructive, right? That are, that are maybe a little bit more positive. So as the user goes into your experience, right? Uh, not only they get hooked into it, but also you're creating a positive outcome out of it. So bringing it back to design with empathy, uh, you know, um, mentality and, and, and mindset. So to your point, Sean, you know, when, when we were working together, uh, if you remember, we were playing a lot with game dynamics, especially on our uh, mobile products, right? And, and how yep. can we get someone to... Um, or how can we, we're driving traffic from the same sources to the same pages. And we know that it's optimized enough, but what can we do more? And so we started playing with anything from, okay, what about playing with doing A-B testing and multivariate testing? But we've realized this in implementing some game dynamics, we were able to increase um, the eCPM on that page. I, if I remember correctly, and I don't know if you remember, Sean, from, from something like um, $10 up to 23 or $25, right, uh, for that one, uh, one page. And that was simply the accumulation of, game, for example, a progress bar and specific colors and testing with that. We found out on yeah. mobile. I, I do yeah. remember. I do remember. We, we changed something to like green with the like Monopoly guy or something. And it just, it went through the roof. Exactly. Exactly. And then sometimes you wonder like, okay, what did we do here that we need to learn from? Right. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and go back. But uh, 
but yeah, I mean, I, I recommend uh, for people interested in game uh, dynamics um, to probably uh, go into the uh, Octalysis framework and, and, uh, and understand that because uh, it talks really into detail into the different parts. And there's a uh, really good blog that uh, I guess the, the founder of that, uh, Yukai Chow, wrote. And he also wrote has a book out there, Octalysis, which I have I have to tell you, Akil, it's been hard for me to get through, but I've been trying because there's so much in there. But he goes real deep. Um, so, but he, I, it is, uh, it, it's, it's good. And I, and I feel like any marketer really needs to, to master what, what is, uh, you know, that framework. Cause I think it, to your point, it really can help. Uh, guys, we have about 10 minutes left on the podcast. I think now would be a great time to, you both are, are avid readers and listen, consume a lot of content. Maybe we could talk, you know, spend the last 10 minutes talking about the books that are, are influencing your, your day to day. Yeah. Kill go. Go ahead and, and, and please share. Uh, sure, no problem. So uh, just to finish the point on the Octalysis framework, you, you mentioned that you know there's a blog about it. I highly recommend the, um, the Udemy course. Uh, they're really cheap oh. these days, about maybe $10. And uh, he has a very good course, um, you know, a you know, a basic course on, on that framework. So I highly recommend that. And, and you know, I, that's where you bring all these different um, things we talked about together there. All right. So with that, the, the, the books, I, I think when I think of marketing, I think of, of we talked already about some of those books, right? Influence and the power of habit. Um, I, I think there are some fundamental books that you need to have, especially if you're in the lead generation and, and uh, business. Uh, and then some others that are, you know, I mean, the three of us are avid readers. I, 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 there's no month or week that goes by without me having one book about either um, marketing, uh, psychology, uh, or product and design. Um, those, those are my passions. Uh, but in any case, so um, the one thing we, I didn't mention as a fundamental book is really um, the one I like is uh, 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing. Um, and uh, that's, that's the, you know, from a foundation standpoint, really it tells you Again, why we do, you know, why we do what we do in certain cases. Um, so, for example, one thing that it mentions there is the law of, of focus and exclusivity, right? That, the, that when specifically for a brand, you can only occupy or for a product, you can only occupy one keyword in the mind of the consumer at a time. So to give you an example, if I say FedEx, you're going to say overnight. If I say Volvo, you're going to say safety. If I say BMW, you'll say, you know, engineering. And it's very hard to move the consumer out of, like once you establish that keyword, the, 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 or the focus of what your brand is about uh, or your product is about, it's very hard because of the law of exclusivity, which is which is also in that book, to be able to move them uh, to move the person from there. So think about batteries, and you think about Duracell versus Energizer Bunny, right? No matter how many how many times Energizer Bunny tries to say that they last longer, in your mind, at least in my mind, uh, Duracell is, is more durable, right? So it's very interesting. Um, so so that's one book that I think is important. Um, uh, I talked about a couple of others. The, the, uh, some others that are related more to B2B marketing, I think, is, are very important as well. So one thing um, uh, uh, I recommend as well for anyone who uh, is, is in sales and trying to do B2B lead generation, uh, uh, I think it's, uh, it's a book that no one can do without. It's Predictable Revenue uh, by um, Aaron Ross, who used to work at Salesforce. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, just the idea that that... You know, uh, 
it's about creating an engine that the yield of that engine uh, is basically both inbound and outbound marketing and how you can um, create a, a predictable source of, of, um, of B2B um, or of, of sort of your B2B pipeline, right? Uh, and, and I think that's, that's very powerful. Um, another one that I recommend as well for sales and B2B is the challenger sale. Um, by Matthew Dixon. Uh, the reason for that is a lot of us go into clients or start telling them about a product, when in reality, it's all about understanding their needs, one, but really challenging their perception, challenging their mindset about what they're doing, right? And, and if you can create doubt in their mind in the sense that maybe there's a better way and more efficient way of how you're doing things currently, then automatically that translates into them interested into, into your product, which you have to offer. Uh, so those are some of the books that I, that I recommend. You got, you and Ryan would make the uh, dynamic couple there considering uh, you kind of do the new age stuff, Ryan. I know you've read a lot of the, the older stuff like the Ogilvy and, and Carnegie and stuff as well. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, the confessions of an advertising man, David Ogilvy, I, I do, I love going back and, and, you know, just looking at, I think a lot of the principles haven't really changed much. The tools could continue to update, but the, the core messaging is, is always there. Uh, uh, you know, the Dale Carnegie's, um, how to develop uh, self-confidence and influence people more yeah. of a public speaking book. Um, but yeah, the, the, uh, Aaron Ross's predictable revenue that, that was, and it's so funny cause you, you, you brought up a lot of these, uh, books that I'm, you forget. And it, I find going back and uh, you should read them almost like kind of every, uh, every other year or so, because you, you forget some of the, the basic lessons that you should be putting back into your business. Um, but, you know, Akil, uh, we just want to thank you so much for your time and, you know, the kind of the theme of this podcast. And again, this being the first one, we're trying to figure out how it's all going to play out. But, you know, Sean has is, is obviously been in the industry for a long time. And, and my background has been, uh, you know, marketing and, and, and uh, sorry, not marketing, recruiting and, and, and recruiting automation strategies that parallel very closely to, you know, lead generation strategies. And so, uh, for us, you know, specifically for me, the, having these types of conversations is uh, something that I need to be doing anyway. So we might as well put it down on recording so that everybody can learn uh, and get the wide array of uh, of people. Either that you're a, you're an industry insider or you're you're new to the industry like myself. So it, it's uh, very valuable, and I can't thank you enough for spending some time with us. I love it, guys. Uh, I, I love the idea of the podcast. I love that we can talk about it. I love learning from you as well. Uh, so this was very helpful. Thank you. Hopefully I was able to be helpful as well. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, I think as you, as this, as this progresses and, and you keep adding categories to the things you want to talk about, uh, you know, I, I will be uh, looking forward for those podcasts, podcasts going forward. So thank you. I just hope that this recorded. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course. Thank I you guys. You touched on a lot of topics that we could do, uh, follow-ups on uh, uh, for, for sure. So no, I, I think it's great. Sean, closing remarks. Is everyone brushing in the teeth <laughs> every day? <laughs> yeah, I hope you are, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys very much for your time. I appreciate it. And I oh, hope that others wait, find this just as helpful. One last thing. Yes. Uh, Akil, if you want, if anybody's interested in checking, you know, your site out or, or, or getting in touch, um, please Sure, absolutely. Um, yeah. A few things. So uh, 
Oh, on Twitter, uh, Akil Haider, one word, uh, H-A-I-D-E-R, uh, first name A-K-E-L. Uh, uh, as well, our website, corporate website, uh, digitalmediasolutions.com. Uh, uh, there's, there's, uh, a, a, we have a specific uh, um, a section just about insights and sort of uh, that's where we put all our case studies and white papers and so on. So there's a lot of good information in there. Uh, you know, like you said, Ryan, uh, there's really... In each one of the topics we discuss, we really discuss high level, right? Um, I, I think there's a lot in there that we can talk about just from the insights I see daily. Um, and, and, you know, my journey, the, the one thing I learned is, is you have to keep to, you know, to stay um, open minded in terms of keep learning. Right. Um, we are in, in incredible times. And uh, um, and the reason I moved from marketing to product it just tells you something about the, the times we're in that that you need to have a background in marketing to be a, and, and 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 a technical background background in, in, in math and analytical background to be able to really um you know get into pro, product design nowadays right so anyway um really enjoy the conversation thank you so much guys